occupied using this as an excuse, and that this was done in the name of democracy, let's be both nationalistic and democratic about it. The Saudi Arabian attack on the USA could hardly have offered a greater contrast. Slung between these two wide-reaching levelings, the intervening years held civilization happily, if ignorantly scooped as in a hammock. Sometime about the centre of that sweet trough, Mrs. M and I became lost to each other. We met again, then parted again for the final time, just before the third fall. The fall of Wall Street and the city. The fall of the banks, the fall of the markets, beginning on September the 15th, 2008. Perhaps we all find such coincident placemarks in the books of our lives reassuring. Still, it seems to me that such congruencies while useful in fixing what one might call one's personal eras within our shared history, are effectively meaningless. Lying here, during all this time after my own small fall, it has become my conviction that things mean pretty much what we want them to mean. We'll pluck significance from the least consequential happenstance if it suits us, and happily ignore the most flagrantly obvious symmetry between separate aspects of our lives if it threatens some cherished prejudice or cosily comforting belief. We are blindest to precisely whatever might be most illuminating. Mrs. Mulverhill herself said that, I think. Or it might have been Madame d'Ortelan. I get the two confused sometimes. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So, in the light of the above, let us embrace rather than resist this effect. You may, even as we begin, wish to know how my part in this ends. So, let me tell you. This is how it ends. He comes into my room. He is dressed in black and wearing gloves. It is dark in here, just a nightlight on, but he can identify me lying on the hospital bed. Propped up at a slight angle, one or two remaining tubes and wires attaching me to various pieces of medical equipment. He ignores these. The nurse, who would hear any alarm, is lying trussed and taped down the hall. The monitor in front of him switched off. The man shuts the door, darkening the room still further. He walks quietly to my bedside, though I ought to be unlikely to wake as I am sedated, lightly drugged to aid a good night's sleep. He looks at my bed. Even in the dim light, he can see that it is tightly made. I am constricted within this envelope of sheets and blanket. Reassured by this confinement, he takes the spare pillow from the side of my head and places it gently at first over my face, then quickly bears down on me, forcing his hands down on either side of my head, pinning my arms under the covers with his elbows, placing most of his weight on his arms and his chest, his feet rising from the floor until only the tips of his shoes are still in contact with it. I don't even struggle at first. When I do, he simply smiles. My feeble attempts to bring my hands up and to use my legs to kick myself free come to nothing. Wound amongst these sheets, even a fit man would have stood little chance of fighting his way from beneath such suffocating weight. Finally, in one last hopeless convulsion, I try to arch my back. He rides this throw easily, and in a moment or two I fall back, and all movement ceases. He is no fool. He has anticipated that I might merely be playing dead. So he lies quite calmly on me for a while, as unmoving as I checking his watch now and again as the minutes tick by, to make sure I am gone. I hope you're happy. 
and ending, and we have barely even begun yet. So we shall begin first with something that in a sense has yet to happen. It begins on a train, the highest train in the world, between China and Tibet. It begins with a man in a cheap brown business suit, walking from one swaying carriage to another, his gait a little unsteady as he holds a small oxygen cylinder in one hand and an automatic handgun in the other. He steps onto the sliding metal plates that separate the carriages. The corrugated collar linking the passenger cars flexing and wheezing around him like a gigantic version of the ribbed tube connecting the oxygen cylinder and the transparent mask round his nose and mouth. Inside the mask, he finds himself smiling nervously. The train rattles and jiggles around him, moving ponderously up and down and side to side, throwing him briefly against the ribs of the connector. Perhaps a place where the permafrost has proved...